Can they hear us? Mic check, mic check. Is it flooding in New York City today? I think it is, but that won't stop us, man. <laughs> what is up, everyone, and welcome to episode 512 of Combos Court. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about prize picks since we are now part of the prize picks family. Prize picks is the largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform in North America. It's the easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. That's right, daily fantasy sports. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. Prize picks offers promotions that can lead to big payouts like Taco Tuesday. <laughs> Each Tuesday, prize picks discount select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. Prize picks now offers Apple Pay for quick and easy deposits into your account this football season. Go to prize picks and use code COMBO for a first deposit match up to $100. Go to prize picks and use code COMBO. That's right, I said it one more time for a first deposit match up to $100. Also, I'll leave a link in the description for that shouts to manscaped and shouts to the star of the show that lawn mower 4.0 go to manscaped and put in the code combo 20 that's right combo 20 for manscaped and get 20 percent off plus free shipping thanks to prize picks thanks to manscaped and today's show jason Tempf of hoops tonight joins in to break down Dame Lillard to the Bucks and more. Just a fantastic conversation with Jason. Go subscribe to Hoops Tonight on YouTube. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. How's it going, man? How are you? I heard you went on vacation. How antsy were you uh, not hooping during that time? Dude, it was rough. And honestly, dude, it was a huge bummer. So I was like playing the best basketball of my entire life before I left on those trips. And then I went 16 straight days without touching a basketball, except for a random workout at the Stanford campus with a buddy of mine who used to play there. And, uh, and I came back and I was like a shell of myself. <laughs> and then I and then it was my birthday, so I was like drinking a lot, like super hungover a bunch. And so then I so then I go on a cleanse. I go five weeks without drinking. I get I hit the gym hard. I get back to form. My men's league team wins the championship again. Everything feels good. I'm finally starting to feel like myself again. And then literally last week on Thursday, my Achilles started feeling this like pretty bad soreness. And then I was playing in a exhibition game against a club team on Saturday, a bunch of kids, uh, that are, uh, like, like basically a prep school. And, uh, and I made it through the game, but I, I was in pretty bad pain after. So I have not touched a basketball. This is my fifth consecutive day. I'm probably going to take at least two weeks off. So it's kind of a bummer. Cause I like finally got back and then 
I had a setback. So it's kind of unfortunate, but it is what it is. And part of it's just, you know, I'm 32 now and I've got some miles on me. So I got to just embrace reality a little bit, you know. I'm not going to age myself, but that is not all, Jason. That is not all. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's interesting you say you're playing the best basketball of your life. And I have some theories about that for you. And I think it works for other people as well. First of all, you don't have to work. You don't have to worry about team practice. So you could work on your individual skills more often. Yes. Second of all, it's more fun. Like there's no business around it. You're just hooping. You're working on things you might not have work of work on. Like you don't have to think about the real team constructs that you have to implement yourself into. You, you cannot just have you kind of could just have fun with it. And I think that's the reason why some people get even better after their like playing playing career. So yes to both of those. I and I'm, and you're absolutely right. However, it goes another level deeper with the fact that I just was a late bloomer. So like literally, okay. I didn't really play any basketball growing up. I uh... um when I was like 13, my dad put a basketball hoop in our backyard and I started shooting. I didn't really fall in love with the game until like 16. And I played organized basketball for the first time when I was 17 and I was terrible. Like legitimately you had, you had, terrible. you had a, you had a phenomenal career for starting that late. So yeah, I'm, I, when I look back at it and I think like, okay, so like I, I, I got to play Juco ball and I made an all conference team there. I had a, you know, probably seven or eight 20 point games. I had a, my career high was 31. I, I, I had my school paid for, like, I'm not complaining by any stretch, but like, Back then, I was basically just an athlete, and I could barely dribble. I could shoot, but I wasn't a real shooter. Like, there's a difference between being a shooter and a real shooter. Back then, I was not a great shooter. I, I was I was only streaky and capable of getting hot, but I wasn't like a guy that was like a legitimate shooter. And so, like for me, in my late twenties, was when most basketball players would be reaching that point where they've been playing for 10 years and starting to feel comfortable. Like the kids that start when they're super young, they reach that phase a lot earlier. So like, that's the thing for me is like, I'm still discovering new things that I can do on the court now, even like now I can like legitimately run a team and run pick and roll and play the point. Like I never used to be able to do that when I was young. So like, it's, it's it's fun. You're right. It's fun and, and it's low stress. But like a, a huge part of it for me is like I always feel like I have unfinished business with the game of basketball just simply because I started so late. It's just it's just in my personality. I mean, peaking early is an issue in itself. Like when mm-hmm. you're, you're when you're at your bet, when you're like the best 12 year old in the country, sometimes that's <laughs> like or even 10, like sometimes that's a curse, you know? Mm hmm. It's a curse because, first of all, you think you're the greatest at too young of an age. And second of all, there's like the ceiling is just a little bit lower, you know, especially like especially if you're like one of those like really like tall, athletic 12 year olds. It's like, yeah, like will the skill level will you work on the skill level at the same rate as some of your, you know, um, adversaries and the guy you're play- the guys you're playing against growing up, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, and and that's the thing. Like I, I have a weird chip on my shoulder for that reason. Like, mm-hmm. like I, I legitimately got benched on senior night. Like we had six seniors on the team and five of them started and played big minutes and I didn't play a single minute, you know, like, and, and it wasn't the coach's fault. I legitimately was terrible. I would have hurt their chances to win the game. Like it just, it, I would imagine it changes the entire, you know, trajectory of everything. You mentioned the skill development piece. Like I obsessively work on skill development for no damn reason. Like there's no reason for it other than like, I, I have to, I have to know what I'm capable of in the, in the big picture. And like when I was in college, I was a big man. Like I was consistently a great rebounder. Um, 
I, uh, I've had like probably a dozen double doubles. My, I actually had a 20 rebound game in college. Like I was, cause I was a big athlete. Like I have six, 10, six, 11 wingspan. I'm about six, six and a half with shoes on and I'm big and strong. So like I can, I could hang with big guys and play that way. And like, now I'm like, I have to know what that looks like as a ball handler. And so like, now I'm, I'm working on all that stuff. And it's just, it's weird because like, you know, Carly and I talk about this. Carly's my wife. We talk about this sometimes where it's just like, it's like, why am I doing this? But it's like, I just love the game so much that like, it's literally strictly for me. Like, I just want to know what the best basketball player version of Jason looks like. And it's, it's yeah. weird because I'll ne- I'll never make a penny off of it from here on forward. Like, I'm never going to try to do anything with it. It's just strictly for me and out of the love for the game, man. Like, that's all it is. Also, when you're playing basketball, you love playing basketball. It's a lot more fun when you know you have the edge. Yeah, I like being good. Like, I, I know it sounds stupid, but like, like, I know it sounds stupid, but like, I like, I like being good at basketball, man. Like, it's just, it's something that it's a passion of mine. It's really, it's really that simple. You mentioned a chip. And I know, off- you know, the fe- I know you feel the same way. Oh yeah. Like it'll just be tough. Like me not working on my game and then even playing for fun. And then somebody who's who shouldn't be getting the best to be getting the best to be like, that would be extremely frustrating, you know? Oh, dude, when it, when the decline comes, it's going to be rough for me, man. <laughs> it's going to be rough. Like I, I, I was literally sitting there thinking, well, it's like this Achilles thing. Like I'm, I'm taking it really slow. Cause I'm only 32 and I know I do have some good basketball years left. And like, let's say it does happen though. Like, let's say I rest a couple weeks and I go back and I tear it and it ah. ends up being something bad. Knock on wood. Yeah, I know. But like, like if that happens, like, I am I might have to stop playing and like just only coach or something like that because like playing and not being good is going to drive me freaking crazy man. It, the, the interesting thing about basketball especially when you're like doing it at like you know on a serious but rec level it's like at the highest levels the decline is going to show more because you're playing against the greatest athletes in the world. Yeah. But I think like on the level like rec level playing for fun level you could get more skillful over time. Like yeah. well into your thirties, forties, the athleticism might decline, but you could learn new things on the way that could kind of keep you at that same pace and be able to get the best of guys that you should be able to get the best of. Like I'm shooting off one leg, like same legs, like things that I didn't work on when I was younger. I have skill sets now that I didn't even have back then because we know more, we have more knowledge. Yeah. So I, I'm a really aggressive, deep three point shooter. Like I shoot a lot of 25 footers off the dribble and uh, not just in pick and roll, but also like in isolation situations, like step backs and stuff. And so like one of the most common things that people started doing in the last five years is they just put a small guard on me and ball pressure the hell out of me, knowing that like, I can handle the ball, but that I'm bigger and slower than some of these guards. Those so guys, are, those kinda... guys are annoying. Those guys are annoying when they, especially exactly. the stronger, they get under you and the, and yeah. the ref's not going to call the foul. Cause they're setting the tone throughout the whole game, you know? Exactly. But like, I've discovered, I've d- a couple things. It forced me to work on my ball handling to, to a higher level. And then mm-hmm. secondly, like right over COVID, I just added all of the back to the basket stuff. And like, that was when I really developed that. And then, like, honestly, like, that's the thing is like, I still have the athletic pop to operate from the perimeter now, but I know that there'll be a phase when I'm like in my forties where I'll be a back to the basket guy. And like, I and I run out of the post and like, and that's the thing, like, I know I can default back to that. To your point, it'll work in men's leagues and, and rec stuff. But like, yeah, like if I go right now, I, I occasionally like probably five, six times a year play against like a Juco or, or a club team with oh, this okay. group of guys that, that my buddy Luis puts together. 
And in those situations, I'm sure there'll come a point as I start to age where like now the athletic pop becomes a problem. Cause right now I'm still one of the better athletes on the floor everywhere I go, but that okay. won't always be the case. You know what I mean? It's going to be exciting for you when you're 40 and you do get the best of like Juco kids. Like that's going to be pretty fun for you. I think though. Right, oh also, yeah. I, I heard you're giving out a uh, post lesson for 50,000. <laughs> it's just making a joke, man. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Staying on skill development, sort of, but we'll shift into the Dame trade. It's interesting. So I was working on the show yesterday. Um, I'm like, let, I'd like to take breaks from my phone, Jason. You know, I don't think I should be living in the metaverse all the time, even though obviously, Good idea. I do, even though I do a lot of my work, you know, on the phone. So, however, I go to work on my game with a friend in the area and I have no idea what's going on. 45 minutes into the workout, he's like, yeah, that Dame trade is crazy. I'm like, what? Wait, what are you talking about? Yeah, Dame to the Bucks. I'm like, what? So <laughs> the first thing that I think of, like I take like a five minute break from the workout to process what's going on. They have Drew, Chris, Giannis, and Dame. This team's going to be crazy because I never thought, like I always looked at like Drew as an untradeable piece, even though it makes sense in this trade, you know? Yeah, it the there's an identity that the Bucks had originally um, centered around Drew as a point of attack defender, right? Um, and I know, I understand the, the reticence pertaining to their defense. And... I don't want to sit here and pretend like that doesn't matter. Like, obviously, the Bucks defense goes down a level when you lose not just Drew, but Javon Carter, too. Like, how how much does Javon Carter seem like a player they could use now after after Drew Holiday's gone, right? Um, but at the end of the day, a couple things. They were a heavy drop coverage team into the playoffs, and I would argue that their defense was never as good as it was capable of being, in large part because of their reliance on that coverage. Um, and so when you add Drew Holiday to the mix, or when you take Drew Holiday out of the picture, like Dame can do the same thing. He can chase over the top of a screen and funnel into their interior defense. He's not going to be able to back pressure as well. He's not going to be able to hold up in ISOs as well, obviously. But I think that he can kind of like from the standpoint of a base scheme, they can give him a job he's capable of doing, which is like, all you have to do is take away the three point shot and funnel into our interior defenders right. and make the occasional rotation. Like I think they can craft him a, 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 an achievable job. And then on the other end, like it's just, he is so, 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 so much better as a half court shot creator than drew holiday mm -hmm. that like, I, I think a lot of people are galaxy braining themselves into thinking this trade is less impactful than it is. It really is that simple to me. I think their defense is only going to take a slight hit because schematically you can work around it. And I think on the offensive end, they dramatically improve. And like, yes, I know Drew once outplayed Dame in a playoff series. Uh, yes, I know Drew is a champion. Yes, I'm not undercutting how good Drew Holiday is. I'm just saying specifically within the context of adding him to a team that already has Giannis and already has Brooke Lopez and Chris Middleton, his elite half-court shot creation just immediately vaults them to another level that I don't think they were at before. I think this team is now better than the championship team. I think they deserve to be the favorite. I'm excited to see what they can do. Do you think people now have become desensitized to how much this could move the needle because we have seen so many stars moving around lately? Absolutely. And like, I, I think people overthink stuff because there have been so many examples of star trades not 
immediately leading to success. But like, I think too often we forget about the seamless kind of basketball fit. Like the idea is it's kind of like the Warriors thing. You're adding Chris Paul, but you're adding him to a team that's already undersized and already kind of needs to play two small guards anyway with the way that their lineup is structured. And so I would argue that Chris Paul's impact in Golden State, even if it does bring some positivity in terms of like a more consistent version of Jordan Poole, there's a limit to what it could cause in terms of positive impact because of the structure of the roster. It's kind of like Memphis. You add Marcus Smart. Like, that's great, but this is a team that's got John Morant and Desmond Bain in the backcourt. And now if I have Marcus Smart in the picture, I've got to play you know, a 6'3 guard next to my skinny 6'2 guard in my 6'4-2 guard that has a 6'4 wingspan and little baby alligator arms, you know, like mm-hmm. it's a, you're making a small backcourt. Like to me, Dame is slotting into a specific role that they need. It is a seamless basketball fit. That like to me, it's like a force multiplier. You know what I mean? Like it's it's I think the sum of the parts is actually less than what those two will achieve together, if that makes sense. The talent doesn't have to defy the fit like we've seen in so many other star trades and star movement. Exactly. Like, look at Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, for instance. Like, they're they're great, but they're a little redundant. And so, like, I, I was looking at the Clippers numbers for a season preview that we released yesterday, and it's like, that team does not pressure the rent at all. And, and a big part of that is, like, Paul George and Kawhi, more or less, even though they are different, like Kawhi is more of a power post player, right? And Paul George is more of like a dynamic pull-up shooter, right? But like the thing is, is like they are two guys that are average playmakers that primarily are trying to get downhill for the purpose of turning their back and taking a fadeaway jump shot or stepping to the side or back to take a step back jump shot, right? So like they that's actually why I want them to play Terrence Mann and Russell Westbrook together. Like I want them to have like some sort of downhill force and get those guys off the ball more. But like theoretically you want your two core stars to mesh at a higher level on a basketball sense. Even LeBron and AD, I think are entering into a weird phase now where because AD can't shoot and because LeBron isn't the same perimeter shot creator that he used to be suddenly their fit is a little clunky and there's some spacing issues and there's some stuff like that. Whereas in 2020 LeBron was the point guard led the league in assists was the crazy top tier shot creator you wanted. And they complemented each other perfectly. You know what I mean? So like, it, I, I think there's, I think that stuff gets overlooked too much in these discussions. Staying on the topic of redundancy and skill set, we've seen that the Suns have added, you know, Nasir Little and Nurkic, but for their top three, do you think their talent could defy the fit? It's hard to say. Like, my here's the issue. The Kevin Durant in the last two postseasons has not been as efficient as a pull-up jump shooter as he was in the regular season. And, you know, what makes offensive-minded teams work is when they start hitting regular half-court efficiency in, like, that 1.15 points per possession, Mm 1.2 points per possession. If if Kevin Durant's only going to hit, you know, 45% of his pull-up twos and 30% of his pull-up threes, that's below a point per possession. You know, like, Devin Booker shot the lights out, like, obviously. But, like, at the end of the day, a bunch of mid-range pull-up jump shooters, they have to be really hitting at a high rate to justify that overcoming imita- uh, limitations defensively. Like, a lot of people don't realize this. The Suns, 
despite Devin Booker shooting as well as he did, only had a 110 offensive rating against the Nuggets. And it's because they weren't getting highly efficient shots at the rim and from the three-point line, right? And so, like, like when you look at the Nuggets, for instance, it's not Jokic making half of his post-ups. He was literally scoring, like, two out of three times. Like, you could not hope to to hold him to a number that you could live with. You know what I mean? Like it just you if you're gonna be an offensive minded team, you have to be off the charts efficient. And who knows, maybe Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, and Devin Booker will be able to pull that off. But I really do think it's gonna require just a little bit more of a of an efficient offensive approach. You know what I mean? And that front line, I mean like we're talking like Nurkic, I I was talking to some people uh, who covered the league yesterday and the prevailing opinion is they think Nurkic is better at making reads. So the idea is if you put two on the ball against Phoenix, Nurkic is going to be able to make those short roll reads better. That, that I think is the direction they were probably going, but I do think it's a downgrade defensively. Nurkic oh, does big, big time, big time. Downgrade. Yeah. 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 Big time. Yeah, and that's, he's, that's it, the issue. Can he even stay on the court in the modern NBA in the playoffs? Yeah, or from a health standpoint, like the yeah, dudes had true. trouble that's staying true. available. So, like, yeah, I, I again, like, I the only other way I can try to talk myself around that is the flexible salary perspective. So, like, Aiton makes whatever it was, like, just shy of forty million a year, and now you've got Nurkic who's below twenty million a year. Uh, um, Nasir Little, I think, is right around like eight or nine million a year or something like that. I think he might even be a little lower than that. Uh, but then Grayson Allen is right around like eight or nine million a year. So, like, you have now multiple tiers of salary that could theoretically put you in a position where if uh, if you wanted to target a specific center or a specific forward at the deadline, you could do that more easily than having to convince a team to take on the DeAndre Ayton contract. Cause like the problem with the DeAndre Ayton contract is it's such a long-term deal that you have to convince a team to basically take them on as a foundational piece. And so it made sense that it was Portland great lengths to try to justify what I thought was a really weird direction for the Suns to go in. And I, and quite frankly, I think they are firmly the third best team in the West. I'd take the nuggets and the, uh, and the Lakers over them. Hypothetically, if drew holiday were to stay, it looks like he will be on the move. How do you think Portland would do this season if they had Drew and the team they have currently constructed? Well, I mean, there's no doubt that Drew's pro- Drew's on the short list of maybe three or four guys that you'd want to have tutor right. or, or like mentor a young guard, right? Because he's he's such a even keel, you know, like kind of lead by example guy. He commits to the defensive end, you know, obviously he can teach you to take care of your body, all that stuff. But like at the end of the day, like where are the minutes? Yeah. You know, like Shaden Sharp and 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 Scoot Henderson and Anthony Simons all got to play. And so, like, I, I I mean, that's not to say that Drew couldn't, you know, obviously fit in there. I just, to me, it's pretty obvious that they're going to move him. And, and quite frankly, like, if you're any of the teams in the East, aren't you panicking a little now? Like, Dame and Giannis with Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez is kind of freaky. And... And like at a certain point, like you've got to be like, we have no choice but to try to keep up from a talent standpoint. So I, I think someone's going to jump in and grab him. Golden State's another team I'd like to see try. I've seen that thrown around. Yeah, that's interesting. Sam said something about that today where he was like CP3 and Kaminga for Drew. I'm saying that's a no brainer. That's like, 
That's obvious choice, in my opinion. Well, and like, especially when you just look at the simple personnel limitations of the Warriors, like I uh, obviously you ideally have a forward, but if you have an opportunity to turn two young forwards who probably won't play much and Chris Paul, who we just talked about earlier in, in the show, kind of presents a whole other list of issues himself. If you can turn that into a six, three tank of a guard that like actually plays really well next to Steph and can take the primary point of attack assignments and stuff like that. Like to me, that's a no brainer. Knowing what we know now with this Dame trade, who do you think has a better chance to win the title, the Bucks or the Nuggets? So here's the thing. I, I, I go both ways here. Cause like, I think the Nuggets deserve to go into the season as like the favorite from the standpoint of respect. Like you've done it. You, uh, you, I mean, obviously the Bruce Brown loss is legitimate. I do think Nuggets fans get a little carried away with the way they talk about like, oh, like no, no one got anybody to handle Jokic. Like we're gonna, and I want to be like, no one on the on the planet can handle Jokic. First of all, I can say the same thing about most of the top players in the league. And like every single year we have a champion, they go into the following season thinking they're going to repeat. And then they don't like it. It's like you're because injuries just happen too frequently, right? Like the 2018 Warriors, they win the title. You're like, oh, there's no way they're not winning it again in 2019. Nope. KD and Clay get hurt. They lose, right? The Raptors is weird because Kawhi leaves. But the Lakers, it's like LeBron's clearly the best player in the world. AD is ascending. He's now a top five player in the world. The Lakers are going to repeat. It's like, nope, uh, AD gets hurt. It, they're, they're, uh, it, uh, LeBron hurts his ankle in the middle of the season. It, like, like it turns into a whole thing and they lose in the first round. It's like, okay, the Bucks like Giannis firmly cemented best player in the world we're bringing everybody back we're gonna win again oh no Chris Middleton got hurt now they have no half court shot creation and they end up losing you know like the, the thing with the Nuggets is they're kind of like precariously balanced with that lineup where each of the four players is perfectly complimentary like Murray is this perfect three-level shot creator that can play two-man game with Jokic, right? Like KCP is like the perfect two-guard who's a dead-eye spot-up guy, a great cutter, great transition runner, great defender, right? Then you have Michael Porter Jr., one of the best spot-up shooters in the league. Aaron Gordon's literally the perfect four to play next to Jokic as like a, a low-man help defender, a guy who can cut and finish around the basket. One of those guys gets downgraded to a league-average player, all of a sudden they become infinitely harder to guard. And so like, again, I, I, they deserve to be the favorite, but NBA history tells us like you need a certain amount of luck. And, and, and like, literally, if we go back, no one's repeated except for the most talented team in NBA history in the last decade. And, and, that, and that's the Golden State Warriors. So like, then I look at the Bucks and they're perfectly structured, right? You need an incredible defensive front line that can hang with Giannis or Jokic, right? That they have the perfect structure. They can put Brooke on him with Giannis and help. That's ideal for 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 handling a Jokic led team. Then on the other end of the floor, you need a top tier pull up shooting guard that can really stretch Jokic out and pick and roll, like just like Steph has done in previous playoff runs, right? And so, like to me, Milwaukee is structured in a way to beat them. So. I think that like if I had to pick a series between the two teams tomorrow, I'd probably pick the Bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they I think it makes sense that Vegas has them as the favorite slightly. But like at the same time, you know, Denver deserves the recognition as being the defending champs and having everybody back. You know what I mean? Yeah, you mentioned Michael Porter Jr. is one of the best, you know, spot up shooter 
catch and shoot guys in the league. And he didn't even play like exceptionally, exceptionally well. Like he can make a leap coming into this um, even regular season or when they need a most in the off season. Like if he, if he takes another leap, it's going to be dangerous for the in the West. Yeah. He played well against the Lakers, but he played poorly against the heat. And, and I don't think it's a coincidence too, because he's young and NBA history also tells us that young players always get freaked out a little bit when they get to the biggest stage, yeah. um, especially skill players. Like you'll see the, the athlete types like Kawhi Leonard in 2014 or 2013, like the athlete types will come in and cause they just play hard all the time and, and, the, and they'll impact. But like the skill guys tend to struggle a little bit on the biggest stages. So like, I, 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 I think there's definitely a chance that the, the nuggets could go up a level with Michael Porter jr. In particular, like getting more on ball stuff. I do think that the, the Bruce Brown loss is significant though. 100%. Like he, he utterly dominated his matchup in every series and that, and you'd be silly to think that's not a, a swing factor. Like all those Laker games were close. If he doesn't like utterly demolish D'Lo, like that could be a six game series, you know, like, and, and then at that point it's a closer margin. So Bruce is definitely a big loss. Yeah. I've been saying this for years, even before he played with the Nuggets, just one of the most unique players in the league, the way he could like, he could play like, one through five on offense, and then he guards guards really well on defense, and he just fits so well with Jokic. You know, you mentioned the Nuggets and the Lakers, and this is kind of random, but isn't it interesting to you that Jamal Murray will play the five down the stretch, like pick and roll with Jokic? He'll he'll, he'll like roll, and AD doesn't want to play the five. Doesn't that? Doesn't that? You're like... uh, you're talking about Jamal Murray playing the five. Yeah, because he set screens for Jokic. Oh, I see what you're saying. You're okay. I see. Yeah, in the it's like, it's like it, yeah. it kind of just shows you the mentality. Like, I'll do anything to win, but AD only wants to play the four. You know, well, That's it, it, dude, it, it, oh, absolutely. And the AD at the four thing is literally the dumbest thing I've ever heard because <laughs> it's first of all, it completely butchers your rotation. Because if you we were talking about like redundancy and like the layout of your lineup earlier. Like the Lakers' four best players, in my opinion, are LeBron and AD Mm -hmm. with Reeves and Rui. So that's two power forwards in LeBron and Rui who both kind of need to play the four. Like Rui can play a little bit of three. LeBron can play a little bit of three. Ideally, they're both fours. Yeah, like like Rui in the old NBA would be a three, but in the modern NBA, he's a four. Yeah, in the modern NBA, he's like a four. I don't think he's laterally quick enough to be a full-time three. Although Intel says that Rui's trying to shed weight to play the three. But like I've seen that specific method taken on by several NBA players before. And you know what ends up happening? They shed the weight, don't get any faster, and then they lose the ability to actually bang with bigger players inside. Like, it becomes a problem. Like, LeBron famously did that in 2015, if you remember. He was I, like, I'm eating fish. And then he came into the season and just looked like a sick old man who couldn't move. Like, and, then, and, then, and then he went to, like, who knows where, and he's uh, 250. And Yeah, yeah. But, that, but, that's, but that's a whole other topic. <laughs> just a, just bulked, bulked up right quick. But, uh, that, that's going to be me when I'm resting my Achilles for two weeks, except for it's not going to be my muscle is going to be fat. Um yeah, but the with AD though, when you slot him up at the 4, all of a sudden you have three fours. And like I'm what I'm doing is I'm taking minutes away from guys like Rui and I'm giving them to lesser players with guys like Christian Wood and Jackson Hayes. And so then it also opens up the issue of like okay, now I absolutely can't play Jackson Hayes next to AD because now I have two non-shooters. Although I don't know if you heard Austin Reeves on the Zach Lowe podcast, but he said that AD's been shooting the shit out of the basketball in their um in LeBron's preseason camp. Now we'll I, see. I, I, I love Ben Simmons, but so has Ben Simmons in the offseason, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but like Austin said that he's actually been privately um, like encouraging AD to take on the shooting role more because they need him to. I mean, it's just the reality. Like I'd like the thing with the Lakers that's interesting is they they really did have a great offseason. I think they made the right decision bringing everybody back. I think that even though I'm a big believer in Dennis Schroeder and I actually think he's really good, I think Gabe Vincent's a better fit because they actually need an off-ball guard. Like with as much as D'Lo handles, with as much as Austin handles, LeBron handles, AD handles, what you really need is a guy who's a great off-ball player and that's what Gabe Vincent is, right? And then I really like the Torian Prince acquisition too because he kind of represents a type of player they didn't have either because Rui is more of a four offensively and defensively Jared Vanderbilt's a three defensively but a four offensively and then all their young forwards guys like Max Christie are like still young what they didn't have was like a legit three on both ends of the floor and Torian Prince is that like Torian Prince is a guy who can take perimeter small forward assignments but kind of functionally operate as a three offensively because he's got a little bit more off the dribble pop like Torian Prince is one of those guys who's actually like sneaky a little bit of a hooper like he's got some he's got a little bit of polish in his game right right and then obviously you just turned a non-existent backup position like literally they didn't have a single one they, they didn't trust Mo Bamba they didn't trust anybody you've turned it into two options there with Jackson Hayes and, and Christian Wood that I think are at least better players than what they had available to them last year it remains to be seen but they didn't fix any of their core issues like their core issues were their guards are not athletic and got bullied by athletic guards namely the Bruce Brown situation right like even I even I'd argue Desmond Bain who I thought was Memphis's best player in that series Desmond Bain like really caused the Laker guards problems just by being bigger and stronger and a better athlete than them. Right. That's their first biggest weakness to that backup center position. They need someone that can actually bang with someone like Jokic and neither Christian Wood or Jackson Hayes can do that. And then three pull up jump shooting. Like they just LeBron and AD can't make shots over the top of the defense anymore. And so the, none of those three issues got fixed this off season. So like they're deeper and I like them better as a regular season team, but like I don't think they made the improvements in the necessary areas to beat a team like Denver, which is why I think they're a great deadline team. Like they've got a couple of draft picks they can use at the deadline. I think D'Angelo Russell is a textbook trade piece at the deadline. They can't do anything right now because all their guys just got signed. But I, I think I think that the Lakers are going to have to end up doing something at the deadline. The Eric Gordon situation with the Nuggets reminded me so much of Andrew Wiggins with the Warriors, just like. An all-star level talent, just talent-wise, like they could probably, you know, get into all-star games. I'm sure Wiggins has Wiggins started an all-star game with the Warriors, but do you feel like Kelly Oubre could be that for the Sixers? I don't know, man. I, it, it, okay, first of all, it, Kelly Oubre is just a ridiculous athlete. So so ridiculous, ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous. Do you remember that year? Do you remember that year with the Warriors where he went like uh like 14 games or whatever without making a single shot that wasn't a dunk? <laughs> but but he had like but he had like he had like 14 dunks or so, something like that. It was crazy. But uh like he in in here's the thing. He was like that again last year. Like he was really inefficient around the rim for an athlete. Like I think he was like around 55% at the rim. He actually does have a decent floater, but like he his jump shooting, he's still really inconsistent off the catch and off the dribble. But he is this ridiculous athlete. And so, again, like, I will never think a player is incapable of making that transition into a role after what happened with Wiggins. Because, like, Wiggins legitimately had a half decade's worth of evidence that he just didn't care at all about sliding those puppies and and getting stops. And then suddenly, I actually think he's one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. So, yeah. like, here's the thing. Can Doc Rivers 
resonate with a guy like that. I mean, well, or not Doc Rivers, excuse yeah. me, Nick Nurse resonate with a guy. Yeah, so long, Doc. We'll see you. Uh, <laughs> uh, will Nick Nurse be able to resonate with a guy like that? Like, chances are. I mean, we we've heard Nick Nurse famously in his book was like straight up getting after guys like Stanley Johnson and and uh Rondé Hollis Jefferson a couple Arizona alum for not committing on the defensive end so like my guess is he'll be all over him from day one of camp to get him to do that kind of stuff and that's kind of a weakness on that roster if you think about it like Tobias Harris is a good not great athlete right and then like they kept trying to find that guy right like they went with Jaden McDaniels last or Jalen McDaniels last year and and he didn't really materialize into that. But like, that's what they need is they need a forward that slots like between uh, Tobias Harris and, and Joel Embiid that actually has to be guarded because the PJ Tucker thing ended up being an issue where like Embiid's working on these ISOs, but they're like straight up ignoring PJ Tucker to, to help. Like that's basically how Boston beat Philly at the end of that series. So like they need a forward that slots between Embiid and Tobias Harris that can handle the physical job that PJ Tucker does, but is more of an offensive threat. And, and, and maybe, maybe uh, Kelly can be that for them. So you had this John Morant, Jalen Brunson take that went <laughs> crazy over the internet recently, Jason. And my whole thing is when I think about John Morant, I think of a generational player and as much impact as J- as Jalen Brunson has had with the Knicks, I don't think he's quite that. Please share why you think Jalen Brunson is a better basketball player than John Moran. So, you know, it's funny because this is like, this is a textbook example of something that happens where, uh, like, I, I make a point trying to make a different point. But then, like, that gets grabbed and becomes a thing. Like, our company didn't even release that on social. Some random Knicks fan found it and, like, put it out there. And the next thing you know, it was everywhere. And, like, what was going on was, like, I do mailbag questions in every episode. And uh, uh, just at the end, like, I'll hit, like, two or three mailbag questions. And so, like, I try to – that's how I try to be interactive with my my fan base. So, like, I, I literally just go back to the YouTube comments and I'll hit them in the show. And someone asked, like, hey, like – why why are the Knicks above the Grizzlies and why did you have Jalen Brunson above John Morant in your player rankings? And so I was just giving an example because like, here's the thing, like John Morant is undeniably a more talented player. He's undeniably the gen- the generational prospect that Jalen Brunson is not. But strictly right now, at this moment in time, the young, flawed version of John Morant is not as impactful in a seven-game playoff series as this established veteran version of Jalen Brunson, you know? And, like, that's the thing with Jalen Brunson. Like, right now, there's a limit to him. No one's expecting him to go into a playoff series against Steph Curry and outplay Steph. He's not capable of that. There is a hard ceiling on Jalen Brunson. But what he is right now is a much easier player to include in your defensive scheme. Like, literally Patrick Beverly was cooking John Morant two years ago in the playoffs, like just taking him to task off the dribble. It was a problem in that series that John Morant could not guard Patrick Beverly, okay? I expect John Morant to eventually become an average to above average defensive player that can hold his own in individual matchups. He's not there yet, okay? I expect John Morant to become a half-court surgeon in the long run. He's not there right now. Jalen Brunson can pick on matchups. He can grab a slow-footed wing or center out to the perimeter and beat him with a step-back jump shot. He could take a smaller guard down to the block and post him up. Like, I actually picked the Knicks to beat the Cavs for this reason. I was like, 
Donovan Mitchell's a better player than Jalen Brunson, but I actually think Jalen Brunson's capable of outplaying him in this playoff series just by executing better in the half court than than uh, uh, Donovan Mitchell does. And like to me, like the John Morant thing is an even greater example of that. Like I think John Morant right now is has all the potential in the world. Nobody can guard him. He's making these big leaps, but like he really struggled in this Lakers series. He really struggled in the Warriors series. Like, and, and I'm not talking about his box score numbers. He can fill the box score, but so could young LeBron. There's a difference between like overall impact and like what your potential is. And all I was trying to say in that show was like, right now, Jalen's better. Give it two years. Ja will be much better, but right now Jalen's better. And then it became this whole thing. Like I'm attacking John. I don't like John. It's like, this is literally not what I was trying to say. Like in general, you could probably pick this up from our, just our overall conversations. But like, I don't think young basketball players are as good as older basketball players. It's just, it's just that simple to me. I think guys that have been around longer and have more experience and, and have been through highs and lows, they just understand what to do better. I don't think Ja would have. I think if you swap Ja and Jalen, I think that I think the Cavs beat the Knicks. Like I, I think that was. I think I think Jalen's unique gifts are what allowed him to pull that off. Jason, you're one of my most favorite people to talk basketball with. Thank you so much for taking the time. Where <laughs> it's such a dramatic outro. Where can we find? You? Where can we find you? Social media everywhere else. One, one last thing on the John Morant thing. Oh. <laughs> he has so many fans. I had no idea. Like, that dude's got an army of supporters. Like, the human... Okay, let me ask you this. Does Ja own the kids now? Like, do, uh, is he the kid's Ste- favorite Ste- player? Steph and him. Easily. Him and Steph. Okay. Easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But yeah, I'm on I'm on Hoops tonight, wherever you get your podcast, uh, on Twitter at underscore JasonLT. Always down to talk hoops combo. This was fun, man. <laughs> Thanks so much, Jason. Talk soon, bro. There it was. Episode 513 of Combo's Court is in the books. Big shouts to Jason for joining in. Go to Prize Picks and use code COMBO for a first deposit match up to $100. Go to Prize Picks and use code COMBO. That's right. I said it one more time. For a first deposit match up to $100. Also, I'll leave a link in the description for that. Shouts to Prize Picks. Shouts to Manscaped. You know you can catch me on Instagram at one two combo. That's O N E T W O C O M P O. Be on the lookout for episode five one three combo. Out.